everyone there in JDI Connect world. This is Beth Oprish along with Ari Whitaker. How you doing, Ari? I'm great. How are you, Beth? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Great social skills. I appreciate that. There you go. So here we are with another episode. Uh, you know, and we always start one with, you know, Ari's little laugh, which I just love that just makes me smile. So um, I appreciate that beginning there, Ari. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime, Beth. Thank you. So we're, well, le- we're lucky enough to be with one of my really good colleagues and friends today on another episode of JDI Connect. What's the name of our podcast, Ari? These are our kids. I have a hard time saying the RR. So these are our kids. See, Ari, what's the name of the podcast? These are our kids. A podcast <laughs> for JDI Connect. That part I can handle. Yes. So today, today we get to sit down with Lisa Macalusa. Lisa, how are you? I'm great. How are you? We're uh, well, thank you. Hi, Ari. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. We're excited to sit down and talk to you, Lisa. You've been around the work for a while. Ari likes to always point out how long I've been in the field, so I'm sure that'll come up. Yes. So, yes. So we're thrilled to have you just to kind of talk about your path to... I really wanted to get your take on you know, the longevity of, of the initiative, JDI, but specifically state scale, because you're really active in that part of the work. So... Those are kind of things we're looking forward to talking with you today about. Sounds good. Let's get started. I would love to hear about your journey. What brought you to the work in the first place? What was your overall purpose of diving into juvenile justice reform? Yeah. Um, Well, I I like to always say that it was an accident, um, a happy accident. Uh, I was um, getting my PhD at Rutgers and needed a job, and my friend had a job at the New Jersey Juvenile Justice Commission and she was going off to do her dissertation and she said, why don't you come on over here and uh, take over for me? And it turned out that it was sort of an an early iteration of JDAI um, that she was leading uh, through a grant from OJJDP in New Jersey. And so- So Lisa, is this before JDAI then? It was in the, I guess in the first five years of JDAI. So it was probably in this, I didn't know this at the time, but probably in like the second or third year that JDAI was operational. And I had the, uh, the unbelievable luck um, and fortune to be able to work with Paul DeMuro, who was on the, what was then the advisory committee for this work. And um, I, I would say that, uh, aside from being motivated by walking through detention facilities and seeing kids in those situations and just being devastated to see that. Um, Paul DeMiro was also, uh, you know, not only my professional mentor and friend, but someone who really um, made me feel like this work was possible, that we could change the whole trajectory. And, uh, and that was really important. So um, yeah, so I started, it was a happy accident. I thought I was going to finish my doctoral degree and become a college professor. And then, um, and maybe some people out there would have would hope that I should have done that <laughs> because sometimes I could be a nudge. But yeah, I, it, it was it was pretty much it, this was not my plan. Um, but I'm absolutely thrilled that I had uh, and humbled really to have had these experiences and to have been able to work with some of the most amazing people in the field over the, I guess, close to 20 years <laughs> that I've been doing this work. Mm-hmm. 
Well, hey, at least back us up a little further and we'll get back to where you were in Jersey and just starting the work there. But like, where did you grow up? I mean, where, where's home? How'd you go to Rutgers? Where'd you get your bachelor's or master's? Wow, you really want me to go that far back? Beth? No, I mean, yeah, I don't think we need to hear about the birthing process or anything, you know, but, you know, yeah, just give us a little bit of, you know, um, context there. Yeah, okay, so I, I um, was born in New York City and uh, moved to New Jersey when, uh, with my family when I was four and grew up pretty much a Jersey girl, um, went all to uh, Jersey uh, middle school, elementary school, high school, and college, graduated with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Stockton State College back then, now it's Stockton University, and uh, then I um, thought I wanted to be a lawyer, so I wound up taking the LSAT and working in a law firm, and then I realized that, no offense to all the lawyers out there, that was not my path, um, so I went to graduate school and uh, for criminal justice at Rutgers, and um, thought I'd just get a master's degree and then ended up staying for the doctor, doctoral program. Uh, but I got this job at the Juvenile Justice Commission and I threw myself into it 100%, 150% and sort of bagged the rest of the doctoral program. So, <laughs> so I got all the way to all but what they call all but dissertation, finished my tests, did everything, all the classes, but never actually wrote the prospectus or dissertation, which I'm sad about. But no, you never know. Maybe I'll go back. Oh, I was going to ask, do you think that that's something that you would do? Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's possible. Over the course of my career, I've thought about it. I've reached out to them um, to sort of check in. But to be honest with you, um, at this moment in my career, I feel like the field is so exciting. Um, and the, the work that we're doing is is transformational. And so from that perspective, I feel like this is really where I want to be. I'm not um, necessarily interested at the moment in, in pursuing the sort of the academic aspect of this, but maybe one day. And and you, go ahead, Ari. I keep like, I, I'm fascinated by this Lisa Macalusa, you know what I mean? This Mac attack, I can talk to, right? I know. I think at one point, I was almost going to have to call her Dr. Dr. McAttack. No, right? no, no, yeah. no, don't do that. Go ahead, Ari. And then I, <laughs> we won't stay on the dissertation, but I just, I've got one follow up, but go ahead, Ari. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I just wanted to know, you know, I'm, I can, I'm pretty familiar with that process and to have endeavored to go through pretty much ABD and then to go into another field, that takes a lot of passion. Was there a moment or a particular client that really encouraged you to just drop the, you know, pretty much drop the plan and go with follow your heart? Um, was there, you know, transformative experience that you had outside of, you know, the, the mentor that you had? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Or I never really thought about it. I, I think, um, I think it wasn't a moment so much as, um, people in New Jersey who were in, um, positions of authority were listening, um, and really thinking about, uh, what they were doing and whether they could do something differently. And, you know, um, I, at that time, especially because everything was sort of just starting, uh, I think it was more that um, I wanted to seize that moment where folks mm -hmm. really, you know, folks were responding to the things that I was saying and the things that Paul was saying. And, you know, there was just a readiness, um, a sort of readiness there to hear this stuff, even though there was plenty of pushback, don't get me wrong. 
lots right. and lots of pushback, <laughs> but no, there was, there were people in, in really high level positions of authority in, in government and in the courts that were, that were willing to contemplate this stuff. And I thought, well, if, you know, if this is going to be a moment, then let's go 150% in and see what we can do. Um, so I should just share. So I, I got to that point as a, um, at that point I was a detention specialist and then a couple of years in um, to working with the Juvenile Justice Commission, I uh, was asked to reorganize part of the organizational structure of the agency. And at that point, I really did think I was going back to college, like going back to graduate school to finish. So I reorganized the, that part of the agency that was dealing mostly with all of the outside stakeholders. So giving money to local um, counties and all of, you know, working with the courts and all the front end stuff. And I made this proposal and uh, the executive director at the time and the deputy executive director, that was Bruce, Bruce Stout and um, Howard Beyer, were, called me in and they were like, you know what, we really like this idea and we think that we want to have you lead it. So I went from being like a detention specialist to a director of a part of the agency <laughs> that yeah, never existed wow. before. Um, and it was sort of through that turn of events, um, which, you know, I kept saying, well, I can go back to graduate school, right? And they're like, yeah, sure, you could go back. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, it, was, it was through that turn of events I, that created the opportunity um, to organize the agency in such a way that when uh, the opportunity uh, came through the Casey Foundation to try a scale methodology or to try to figure out what something like that could look like, we were really well positioned. I personally was felt pretty well positioned in the agency to be able to, to lead that kind of effort. So, so you're used to breaking ground, essentially. Yeah. You're an innovator by trade. That's awesome. So, so let's talk about Casey <laughs> coming into town, right? Sure. Did you guys yeah. pursue Casey because of the, the reforms that you guys pursue, you guys, and by you guys, just let's remind the viewers we're talking about New Jersey here. Yeah, New Jersey. So um, did you guys pursue Casey? Did Casey just kind of hear what was going on? How did all that shape out? Yeah, we definitely pursued Casey. There's no question. Um, so they, uh, Casey had put out a sort of, I don't know, a, like a request for proposals for states who were interested in thinking about how to bring JDI to scale. At that time, the work was only happening at the county level, uh, not only, but was happening um, specifically at the county level. And um, so they were realizing at Casey that there were like a lot of counties and how are we going to make this, you know, live in all the places where kids live uh, without maybe, you know, thinking about scaling up the work. And so um, uh, New Jersey, New Jersey put an application in and uh, it was during a time where the, the executive director of the Juvenile Justice Commission was uh, very ill. He was out on leave. And so nobody, nobody in that agency really knew that what I was doing, I just sort of did. <laughs> um, and, and uh, the executive director came back and I told him, you know, I did this thing and, and Casey is interested and he was all for it, um, Howard Beyer. And you can read this actually in the, there's a, a document um, on JDI Connect. I think it's called, what is it called? The New Jersey Story. 
Yeah, it's it's it's. Which I don't know if it's best. a yeah, if it's a it, actually a practice guide. It's definitely a publication on JDI Connect. So yes, you know, in our podcast we link to various materials. So I'll make sure that we link that to the to to the listeners. Cool. So yeah, so you know, um, we held a meeting at the training school for boys because we figured that nobody could leave. <laughs> It's the secure facility. <laughs> and we brought all the folks in. We brought um, Kevin Ryan, who was the, the child advocate at the time. We brought um, the administrative director of the courts and uh, the, the um, family practice director from the courts and a couple of judges and uh, public defenders and prosecutors and all kinds of folks, the attorney general's office, everybody was there. And we gave a presentation that essentially showed that crime as measured by arrests over the past 10 years had been going down. And that, uh, and that incarceration of kids was exploding in New Jersey. And not only was it exploding, it was exploding particularly for youth of color and girls. And that New Jersey was taking sort of a tact of trying to build their way out of it. So, you know, there was lots of new detention centers. Uh, Essex County built a giant one. Um, and we basically just posed the question to the group, it should, if arrests are going down, shouldn't incarceration also be going down? And we showed overall arrests and we showed index crimes just to show, right, even, even the serious crime was going down. And, you know, the folks looked at that, um, and it was a time in New Jersey where there was already reform happening on the child welfare side, big reform. And they, they looked at it and they said you know what, we, we need to do this. This isn't right. Um, and, you know, BART really required that from every, uh, every person in that room to say affirmatively, I'm in, let's do it. Let's, you know, let's see where we can take this. And so that was sort of the beginning of, um, you know, what I would say uh, was a, a uh, humbling journey. It was an exciting journey. And it was a very, very difficult journey. <laughs> continues to be this work is not easy it's never easy but you you now uh, uh, dr jennifer lebaron you know jersey Correct. herself just I posted know. on jdi connect i think it was oh sometime um last year that jdai is now in every single county in new jersey truly Ooh, the state scale amazing. methodology of expanding it to all quarters of the state um that happened right that happened. And, and I, I will say, you know, we do the model site visits. Dr. Jen and I do the model site visits along with the faculty. And, um, and I will say that one of the things that we share with folks is that from the beginning, we messaged this as the way the state was going to do their business. That JDAI, the, the core strategies of JDAI, the core values of JDAI, that, that we were telling people we are going to make this the way New Jersey does its work. And 10 years from now, right, nobody would even be using the acronym JDI. We'd just be doing it. We'd just be doing it. And when I said that, of course, people thought I was totally ridiculous. People laughed at me. They were like, you're nuts. What's wrong with you? Of course, not. that's not going to happen. Um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, so it was a really big achievement. I'm super proud of, of the folks in New Jersey and, um, and their ability to, to, to build on the original work and keep fidelity to the model and, uh, and continue to work it. it. And, you know, now what it's leading to for them is uh, the reductions in the number of kids that went to the deep end, right? Because detention is sort of the, the hub for that kind of thing. 
the deep end correctional facilities, um, it's made it so that uh, the, the, deep, the training school for boys um, and one other facility will be uh, eventually closed because there's just not that many kids anymore so, at that deep end. Who's laughing now, Mac? They always say it's I'm impossible. I'm sure they're still laughing. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it's it's exciting, and I I want to say really clearly that, you know, um, at the beginning, clearly it you know I I sort of had a vision and I was able to put some pieces together to to sort of put this thing together. But honestly, the 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 kudos and the credit for um, for doing all of this work goes to the people who are doing it in New Jersey every single day. Everybody at the Juvenile Justice Commission, at the courts. Um, at the local level. I mean, there are literally thousands of people now in New Jersey who are engaged in some part of this process. And I could not be prouder of that because, you know, it's become, it really is their work and they, they should be very proud. Well, you know, it, the leadership is absolutely, you know, imperative, right? And the vision, right. but the implementation, it's, it's the people on the ground implementing. So, I mean, I, I, I uh, would concur that they, they need, props also, right? I mean, you definitely had that vision and Jersey was lucky to have you and Rutgers loss was Jersey gain, right? But I feel like, you know, you're right. The, the, the line staff, sometimes you feel like maybe they get overlooked, right? The people actually implementing the, the, the core strategies and we need that buy-in too for this to work. So I'm going to just kind of pause us here for a second so we can take a little break. And then when we come back, kind of want to get into, you know, we're, we're throwing around this term state scale, but let's, let's go a little deeper into that and kind of, kind of define that. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Shelly Salter, and I want to tell you a little about JDAI Connect. JDAI Connect is an online destination where anyone, practitioners, policymakers, community groups, advocates, researchers, youth, and families can talk, share resources, and learn from one another. It is a vibrant community rich with discussions, resources, and training opportunities. I use JDAI Connect for the connections and resources. Through JDAI Connect, we have been able to find information to allow for specific strategies to be developed to reform our juvenile justice system. And now, back to the podcast. Welcome back to the JDAI Connect podcast. These these are our kids. Like <laughs> that's a tough one. It is. That's hard. why I always make you say it. <laughs> you do. You do. We are so. Um, excited and happy to have our special guest today. We have Lisa Macaluso. Thank you again, Lisa. So we're going to hop right, right back in. And I want to ask you, first off, what, how do you define state scale? Um, two, what does it mean for a state to get to that level? And how do we di differentiate between when it's realistic, right? I've, had, I've heard feedback that some people are like, hey, this is a pipe dream. But as we know, you're the person that says yes to impossible. So what, what would you say to the naysayers about, you know, state, state scale is impossible? Yeah. Uh, okay. So two really um, great questions. So the definition of scale is defined um, individually for each site. And it's left, um, uh, the reason that we define scale um, mostly is because 
uh, people need to know where to start, right? So we always say begin with the end in mind. So when we talk to sites, we'll say, what is your definition of scale? Um, and normally they'll come up with some kind of statement that says something like, um, we will have achieved scale when, uh, you know, when 80% uh, of the kids age 10 to 17 are living in a JDAI county, right? And if you know that, then you can do an analysis of what that means in terms of the constellation of counties you might need to go to to reach that goal. You may have to do an analysis of what the organizational structure needs to be in order to meet that goal. You might have to do an analysis of what the staffing model needs to be in order to meet that goal, right? The financial, um, the financial need, right? Whether you're going to need to move money or get additional money in order to meet that goal. So, so when we talk about the definition of scale, um, that is something that sites define for themselves. And also, um, it changes over time. So like in New Jersey, when we started, we had 17 county detention centers. And so our definition of scale was, we will have achieved scale, right, when all 17 counties with detention centers are doing JDAI. Which, you know, over time, um, first of all, a bunch of detention facilities closed as a result of this work. Um, and also over time, uh, uh, sites that did not run detention facilities were interested in doing the work. And so it turned out New Jersey is 21 counties. And so um, it just, we just changed our definition. So you need to be able to be flexible in that definition. But I think Ari, the sort of um, complementary question to that question is what does it mean, right. right? Like what does it mean to go to scale? Why would you do it? Um, and right, it is, it's, it's difficult. And, you know, I would love to be able to sit here and say, here, I'll give you a checklist with 18 things. And if you do all these 18 things, you've gone to scale. But this work, scale work, JDI work, um, is, is both a science and an art. Um, and there's a lot of art that goes into how to organize um, a state for scale, uh, just like there's a lot of science that goes into it. And so what I say is, why would you do scale? You do scale because you believe that, that there is a way um, to change the policies and practices and programs in a state, both at the local level and the state level, to eliminate um, unnecessary and inappropriate secure detention and to eliminate um, racial and ethnic disparities. And that that's really what we're saying here. And that's ongoing work. It is not a project. You're not going to put this together and say, okay, three years and we're done with this. It's, it's an ongoing thing, which is why we always talk about scale as, um, you know, as, uh, you know, as an ongoing value-driven and data-driven practice model. It's not something that has a beginning and an end. Um, and so uh, if thinking about that, really, I guess, um, what we say about scale ultimately is that if you want institutionalization and sustainability, right, you think about, think about if you were in a site and you had a couple of counties doing JDAI, right, and in those counties, they were wildly successful, and the judges were amazing, and the, the court people were amazing, and the probation people, everybody was working as one, you know, well-oiled machine. And then the charismatic leader leaves, hmm. and things start to go sideways, right? This work is too hard to sort of leave things up to the, the whim of one individual person or one charismatic right. leader. Right. to do this work. So um, what scale gives folks, I think at the end of the day, when we do it right, 
is the ability to institutionalize and sustain gains and the ability to influence more than just the part of the system that any individual stakeholder represents. So in other words, when we do this work, our expectation is that the courts will make changes, that probation will make changes, that the, um, the correctional agency will make changes, the executive branch will make changes, the counties, the expectation is that we're gonna align our work to achieve the goal at the state, at the high state level and at the, um, and at the local level. And so when you hear that people, that it's, you know, that it's difficult, right? This whole top-down, bottom-up thing, right? Where we want folks at the, at the county level to be able to influence what's happening at the state level and the state to influence the county. All of those things sort of come into play. And that's why when folks say um, to you, Ari, you know, this is impossible and I can't do it. Yeah. Um, it it's because, uh, you know, I think it's because we have to sort of think about all the moving parts. It's already difficult to do it in one county. To do it this way is, I think, um, is, a, is a specialized strategy. It's not necessarily intuitive. You need, you need some help to do it. You know, you had made the comment about values-driven initiative, right? And so I feel like, you know, what you were saying as far as the sustainability of the initiative, if you can incorporate those values, early on that it doesn't matter. Uh, I don't want to say the leadership doesn't matter because it always matters, but that charismatic person, if the, if, if the values of this work are part of the system, then regardless of who's there, that is still the way the work will be done. And that's what New Jersey has shown. So in, it, 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 incorporating those values early is, is a huge part of the sustainability of the work. Correct. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I got that point there. Yeah. And do you have you found it to be when you're you know going to model sites? Have you found there to be any particular qualities of leadership that can help sustain that commitment? Um, because you know, like you're saying, like of course we don't want it. We want the values to be so embedded within the culture that it doesn't it doesn't require one charismatic leader, but. Are there particular qualities among the among the culture that you know help sustain that? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, um, well, I think from a leadership perspective, uh, the leaders that are the the most successful in the scale work are leaders who are willing to create space for difficult conversations, um, and who are uh, uh, willing to. Um, have transparency um, and a certain level of trust. These are leaders who are willing to take what um, Howard Beyer used to call responsible risks, right? We're not saying, you know, just do something for the sake of it, but do, when we're thinking about this work and um, prioritizing where we're going to try to improve stuff and, you know, looking at the data and all of that, we want folks to be able to take what a responsible risk, right? That we understand what the problem is and the nature of that problem and we're going to work to change some stuff. Um, I think, I think uh, the, the most successful leaders also understand that this is not about them. Mm. I mean, to put it in, in the shortest way possible, right? That it's partly about them in terms of their leadership, but the successful leaders in this work understand that this is about creating a legacy, right? And so when you're trying to create a legacy, it's typical that you would approach this work differently than if you were um, just doing it for the moment while you were 
in a particular position. And then when you leave that position, you know, let the chips fall where they may. That is great wisdom right there, especially for anyone who's deciding to, you know, maybe jump into this field. You know, it's, it's just to say it's just <laughs> to sustain that commitment. It really requires some level of humility, like you shared all throughout your journey. You were excited to jump in, but you were humble enough to kind of listen um, and know when to collaborate, know when to bring in data um, and all those like wonderful things that can help really move this, um, the momentum, but also sustain it. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, I guess in saying that, um, you know, a leadership also requires an expectation that there are going to be difficult moments. Um, and some, you know, in this work, as with any kind of change, folks will test you, folks will um, push you, folks will uh, try to figure out if, if you're really for real, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the things that you're saying, if you know, you know what you're talking about. And um, I think a lot of folks, uh, when, that, when they start walking down this path, because it makes so much sense to them inherently, you know, that's why they can be leaders and take up the mantle. Um, when they see that there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of pushback on the status quo, um, you really have to understand the model and you have to understand what you're doing. That's why the coordinators are so important because they're like the glue that keeps this going and helps these leaders lead, um, you know, and gives folks the information that they need uh, to back up these claims that we're making, right, about, about reform and about improvement and about better outcomes um, for kids and communities and families. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of pushback. This is not an easy, an easy path to walk. No, I think that with leaders, though, I think we, we, we could probably have a, a whole other podcast on this, but leaders <laughs> come in all kinds of positions too, right? Right. Sure. Leaders Absolutely. just aren't judges and they just aren't commission directors, Correct. right? There's leaders and detention specialists. I mean, you yeah. go to a probation office and there's a leader there. Yeah. You know, right. They may not have that title. So I feel like, you know, this work done right, right, encourages leadership from everyone. Of, That's right. Uh, anyone who touches the life of a kid has That's the right. ability to be a leader. So... Without a doubt. And we call that, there's an actual name for that in the literature. It, um, the sort of this idea of leading from the middle, right? So, and there's, Ari, there's we're, a, getting, we're getting the ABD here now, right? We're getting <laughs> yeah. the literature is no, telling us saying, about this. Like, there's this idea knowledge. of leading from the middle, right? Which is exactly, I mean, you, you uh, characterized it ex exactly right, right? That when we, when we work with sites across the country, folks will often say, well, that's, I don't have any juice around that. I'm not the leader, right? And so what we're teaching folks is that there's a way to lead from the middle to influence the people who have the influence. And that's really equally important, right? Like you need both things. You need the leaders who can influence to do their thing and you need um, the leaders who are in all kinds of other places, not only to, to, to make sure what they're doing is consistent with the model, but also to be able to influence those influencers when they're not directly responsible. And I think that's one of the things that's been so confusing about scale, right? Because people will come to the model site visit and say, well, we are not in charge of our detention centers or we're not in charge of, you know, the courts or we can't tell the judges what to do. And, the, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, neither can New Jersey, right? That's why this, this leadership and this collaboration and this sort of, um, 
value. Uh, this ability to write, to lead from the middle and to influence um, policy and practice and program is, I think, really at the core of this work, even though it's difficult and there's a lot of moving parts. At the end of the day, I think that that's really what this is about. And there's a lot of um, states who are doing scale work, who are organized in a way that is very insulated. In other words, they, do, they don't, at the state scale level, the state steering committee level, have the ability um, to be able to influence all of the parts of the system. And so if you're one of those sites, I would ask you to think about that a little bit and think about what you might need to do to, to, to fix that. Well, Lisa, if people wanted more information on state scale, um, there's some information, you know, we have the resource of JDI Connect, but where, where specifically might they look? What would you recommend that they, they, they read? What, where would you direct people? Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, there is, I think, a section on JDI Connect that has, that's for scale, and there's some information there. Um, I would actually recommend that they uh, do some talking to some of their colleagues who have been doing this work for a while and who are doing it successfully um, to sort of see, you know, how that goes. I think a lot of times the literature is um, sometimes a little bit too abstract to a, for practical application. <laughs> um, so talking to people, I always recommend talking to people, um, you know, certainly reading the, the thing about New Jersey, not, you know, not because it's about New Jersey, but I think it gives a good sort of sense of um, the barriers and the issues and, and the steps that were taken. Um, come on a model site visit and visit with the faculty here in New Jersey who are, you know, engaged in this work and have been for a good 15 years now. That, that's what I would say at the moment. I feel like we do have to build up the, the actual literature. Um, there's a matrix, I'm not sure if it's on JDI Connect, uh, that sort of helps folks see the model, right? So the, the matrix that we talk about in the state scale convenings includes, you know, organizing and staffing and funding and data and all these these sort of elements, boxes or buckets, if you will, that folks need to consider when they're thinking about designing a scale, a scale approach. Um, That's great. So. Maybe we can, you know, think about getting that on JDI Connect. That sounds really like Yeah. That. Yeah. We'll link to we'll link to it in the podcast. Okay. And as much fun as it is to talk to Lisa McAloo, <laughs> right? Our time is coming to an end, so we've got to finish with a couple things that have become um, uh, part of our podcast, our podcast episodes. So, at least the first thing before we, we do our final, you know, this or that, um, is, you know, in the 21-day equity challenge, 21-day habit-building equity challenge that we did on JDX Connect last year, day one was a video that we asked people to watch. It was called, What is Your Why? And that really has resonated with a lot of people in the JDI Connect community and thinking about why is it we do this work? I mean, you just talked about this work is not easy. This is hard. There's a lot of pushback. People laugh at you. People don't believe in it until they do, right? And so it's, it's, it can be tough, right? So, I mean, why, why? is a good question, right? Why, what is your why? So, so let's pose that to you, Lisa Macalusa. The work that you do, why? What is your why? 
So I had heard, I think in high school once, someone came and spoke to us about, um, about crime and justice. And one of the things that um, this person said, I can't remember who it was, of course, was that, uh, that you know, in America, um, uh, white kids and kids of color are not treated the same for the same kinds of behaviors. And that when white kids act in certain ways, we call them college students. And when kids of color act a certain way, we call them delinquents and we incarcerate them. And, you know, from the beginning, from that time, when I was in high school, I felt, I felt strongly then, and now I believe um, with my whole heart after seeing 20 years of kids being locked up for things that are outside of their control, for things that have to do with being kids, for, for things that do not pose a risk to public safety um, at all, uh, uh, that um, as Americans, we have an obligation to change that and to ensure that no one is ever deprived of their liberty for reasons that have nothing to do with public safety. And so my why essentially is to ensure that as long as I'm around, that I'm going to keep pushing that message and getting people to understand um, to the extent that I can why this is so harmful and so painful and so wrong in terms of the trajectory of these kids that, you know, we're not just doing this in the moment, um, this putting kids in detention in the moment, right? This has impacts for their short term well-being and well into their adulthood. And so, uh, you know, that's my why, that's my passion. And, uh, you know, I'm going to keep fighting for it. Well, I just got to, yeah, answer the why with a wow. Yes. <laughs> And Thank you so much, Lisa. You um, are absolutely fierce and so intelligent and just enthusiastic. And I am personally moved by your leadership style. And um, I'm so grateful that so many children um, of our nation, will their lives will have changed because of this type of leadership, because of the type of veracity. And because you, are, you totally get it. Like, these are our kids. When we're talking about that as a nation. As a community, we have to do something, and you're embodying that. So thank you. Woo! Thank you, Ari. That's very kind. <laughs> you know, every time Ari says something, Lisa gives her, like, great question, oh. Ari. That was very kind, Ari. You know, I mean, she's a little <laughs> loose. I'm sitting here, too, you know, for crying out loud. I love you, Beth O'Fresh. Oh, there we go. That's, <laughs> That's better. I, love that. yeah. I echo Ari's comments, too, Lisa. And I'll just say what I said earlier in the podcast is Rutgers loss is this field's game and not just the state of New Jersey, but when you decided to fly broader, you know, you've brought that across the nation and people, and you know this, right? People speak highly of you everywhere you go, all the states that you've impacted, um, all the coordinators that you specifically have taken under your wings. They're always Lisa Macaloosa, Lisa Macaloosa. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. You know, okay, but we'll, uh, we'll be done with that. But <laughs> I got to get my one question out that I was going to ask about the dissertation, but just real quick, if you did go back, what would be your special, you know, no, you got to pick something, right? You got to pick right. something that you would do the dissertation on. What would that be? Um, it's pretty likely that I would do something on, um, on race equity. I'm not sure exactly what, what that would look like at the moment, but uh, that's pretty much where I would. I would focus my attention 
maybe possibly on the tools that the, I mean, I don't want to open a whole can of worms, but I'll just say maybe possibly on the tools that we're super married to in this field and the structural racism that's built into them. Okay. We won't make you expand any further and we will allow you to change your decision if you go back. Uh, thank you. Are you going to be the chair of my dissertation committee or like what's happening? <laughs> I think it's going to be Ari. For crying out loud. <laughs> All right. We got to finish up here, ladies. So let's end with a, uh, a couple questions of this or that. Ari, you want to start us off and then I have, sure. one, and have one. Yes. Okay. So morning person or night owl? Night owl. Oh. Yeah, without hesitation. Easy. Mm-hmm. I would do the owl noise, but I can't, who, I don't really know. (laughs) Mine, because I'd love to call my friend Lisa McAlusa Mac. So mine's going to be Mac or PC. Mac. Mac. (laughs) Of course. Of course. course. (laughs) Okay. Podcast or books? Oh, that's hard. I mean, Beth, your question was hard too. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Um, uh, I still say books at the end of the day. Nice. Keep it old school. Well, right. now let's see. Is the book a book or is it a Kindle? Um, I, I read the Kindle all the time, but I prefer a book. Like got a, it. Like Have books. that, yeah, in your hand. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. All right, we got to wrap up. Thank you again, Lisa McAlusa, for being on this guys. episode of the you podcast. You guys are awesome. We could chat. We'll, we'll, she said, you guys, by the way, are awesome, not just Ari's awesome. That's right. Oh, I girl. did. <laughs> Are you happy now, Ben? <laughs> I'm a little happier now. Um, be sure to check out this podcast, the the link to it on JDI Connect, where you can participate in the discussion. And the things that Lisa talked about from the New Jersey report to uh, earlier blog that she had put up on state scale and the matrix she talked about, we'll link all of that to the discussion post with Lisa. So again, Lisa, thank you so much. Ari, it's always a pleasure. Goodbye, Lisa. Goodbye, Ari. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs>